Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the award-winning Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by political reporters Rachel Amory and Adele Merson as we take stock of a momentous week in Scottish politics. This was Nicola Sturgeon's swan song. The outgoing SNP leader is calling it a day and will be replaced by one of three candidates on Monday the 27th of March. But we're not there yet and Thursday was a final chance for the long-serving government leader to have one more shouting match with opposition leaders in the Scottish Parliament. We'll dissect that in a moment and look at her legacy. I'll also bring you an interview with someone well-qualified to talk about what it was like to serve inside the SNP machine with Nicholas Sturgeon, former press chief Fergus Much, who was previously also an aide to Alex Salmond, talk to Adele Merson before we met for today's podcast. He was also an election candidate for the SNP in Aberdeenshire, narrowly defeated by Tory Andrew Bowie. Adele, before we listen back, give us a flavour of what we're about to hear and perhaps for listeners not bang up to scratch with all the ins and outs, why so much of this is important. Yes, so Fergus obviously has, as you said there, a great deal of experience um, within the SNP. He himself was was a candidate as well as being an aide to Alex Salmond and heading up the press team. So he, we kind of focused around how does he see the party moving forward from Monday. Uh, so he, he gives his thoughts around, he's kind of leaving Ash out the running there because he doesn't you know, think she's a, necessarily going to win. But um, he says that both Kate and Hamza have to make space for each other in their cabinets depending on who wins that that would be the way to sort of begin I guess bringing everybody back together um, we also had some interesting discussions around how the relationship might go forward between the SNP and the Greens they currently have a power sharing deal which uh, was called the Butte House Agreement and that has not gone down so well with certain parts of the party. Um, Kate Forbes is sort of seen as as less positive towards that arrangement, though I, I don't think she's so far kind of said she would rule it out or anything like that, but she's certainly been a lot more cynical about it all. Um, so Fergus gives his thoughts around how he, he thinks that both of the candidates will, uh, well, both Kate and Hamza will look for some kind of tweak or reset with that. I mean, that's interesting and timing-wise because we've got the, the Green Conference uh, this weekend, which I'm sure will have some kind of discussion around how their party members feel about this arrangement going forward, depending on who is successful on Monday. Um, and finally, I guess we, we covered as well, Fergus worked very closely with Nicola Sturgeon and you know, has a good idea of, I guess, a personal sense of who she is as well. So kind of asked him around his his recollections there and he has a lot of lovely things to say about her, but I guess he also hinted at the cautious element that's often associated with Sturgeon and how that might potentially, I guess, have meant she didn't always capitalise on certain situations when she could have. So it was a, it was a really interesting discussion I think with somebody that's been kind of really involved in the party. Well Adele started by asking Fergus much if the SNP that he knows so well is now in a bit of a mess. Yeah not my words uh, the words of the party president uh, Mike Russell uh, at the weekend 
I think it's fair to say that over the last few weeks, um, this leadership battle has got fairly heated. It's got fairly fraught. It's perhaps not shown the SNP at its absolute uh, finest hour. But at the end of the day, this is the first leadership election the party's had for the best part of 20 years. So that, I suppose, amplifies the differences between uh, the three candidates. So maybe not that unusual, though, in in the grand scheme of things. The Conservative Party have had a succession of uh, leadership elections over the past year alone, <laughs> which uh, which got pretty fraught themselves. Uh, you know, Labour within living memory had uh, two brothers vying for the leadership of, of the party. Um, and that got pretty divisive too. So, I mean, I suppose the real test will be whoever prevails uh, come Monday, whoever's the new leader of the SNP, whoever becomes the next First Minister, if they're able to bring party and government back together, um, then that'll be the real test. But tremendous mess, yeah, not 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 the best few weeks um, for the SNP in terms of the process and the personalities. But actually, has the debate at times got on to where does Scotland's future lie? What are the policy decisions that could, I suppose, be different from you know the Sturgeon Salmond era? Um, and and how do we drive Scotland forward? And actually, when it's got onto that subject matter, I think at times it's shown the SNP at its best. You obviously showed support for running the election again. Could you perhaps elaborate just a bit more on why you think this should have been done? Have you got concerns over the legitimacy of it? I was simply making the point that when you have the chief executive of an organisation that's running um, you know, a very sensitive ballot um, like this, one way to to put the, the result of it beyond any doubt, beyond, beyond any uh, um, question, would to be be to run it again, and it's largely an online ballot. Um, it was had only been open a week by that stage, not even. Um, so you know that would be one way to put the whole process uh, beyond reproach. I think we've actually moved on a bit since then, um, and and all three candidates in various ways have said that they were they were confident in the process and they were they were happy um, with the way that the ballot was being run. It is at the end of the day being run by a, a, a kind of third party. Um, uh, polling company rather than you know it's not it's not the chief executive of the SNP sitting there counting each ballot as they come in so um so if they're happy then i suppose that's that's what matters there is a bit of a uh, bit of trust to be restored um between the party apparatus the party administration um and the, and the new leadership and the party membership at large um but you know again that's 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 a challenge for the for the new leader to to kind of get a grip of that um, and uh, restore trust after a, a, you know, a bruising time. And obviously, a, a large part of there's been this big row over membership figures. And you were formerly the head of SNP's press team. What do you make of the situation that Murray Foote was put in? Yeah, it's a really unfortunate position for Murray. And Murray's a really great guy. He took over for me as head of uh, press and research for the SNP. Um, he is somebody I knew in the newspaper world. He's somebody I, I trust, I like, I admire. He was uh, respected by the MSPs. He was respected uh, across uh, various parties, across the media as well. And I suppose that relationship between the head of press and uh, and the media at large has to be one built on trust. So when when I was doing a job like that and I was speaking to a journalist like you, Adele, um, I suppose you expect you know, you guys are going to speculate on on what 
particular things might be happening in the political world you know we'll we'll occasionally add a bit of spin to that so you know if let's say you know the S&P had 18,000 members if I rounded that up to 20,000 I don't think anyone would particularly bat an eyelid um, and and you know, an element of kind of reasonable um spin it's what you expect from from party press offices and then it's it's your job as journalists to get into the nitty-gritty to probe that to question it and uh and you know (laughs) together i suppose uh we we happen upon the the as close to the truth as as uh you know there's a public interest to know when it when it, we're talking about, I guess, deception in the realm of tens of thousands of members that have left the party, then it's a very different situation altogether. Uh, Murray Foote was obviously equipped um, with a set of numbers that were wildly inaccurate. He went out to bat for the party, uh, defending them, defending them pretty vigorously. And then when they transpired not to be anything near reality... Um, you know, he's a man of integrity. Um, he realised that he'd been put in a horrible situation that he should never have been put in. And uh, you know, fair, fair play to Murray. He thought, well, that's um, you know, that's uh, you know, my professional integrity at stake here, and I'm going to have to go. And you know, the 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 next domino that fell thereafter was Peter Murrell, the chief executive of the the SNP. Um, and it's it's really unfortunate how these things have played out. Um, I think. Uh, Murray was very, you know, he was very principled in in the way he resigned. I think thereafter, Peter Murrell did have to go, and he would probably face a, a no confidence vote from our uh, from the SNP's National Executive Committee. The sequence of events has been pretty unfortunate, all in all. Um, you know, Murray and Peter, both people I like, both people I, I've enjoyed working with over over several years. And uh, I suppose when these things happen in, in politics, they happen very publicly as well. Um, so it does leave a pretty kind of um, bad taste in the mouth. And how do you think the party begins to move forward and repair itself after such a sort of chaotic few weeks? Yeah, it's it's interesting, um, and it's not necessarily going to be an easy task, um, particularly when such clear battle lines have been drawn in the course of the campaign on policy, on ideology, on the future of the party, on how the party should be administered, how its HQ should function. Um, you know, Hamza Yusuf himself um, said he was quite happy to be labelled as a continuity candidate. Um, Kate Forbes has has obviously said continuity won't cut it um, and and uh, indicated that there would be some pretty drastic changes. Ash Reagan, probably more fundamental changes, but I don't think she's really at the races in this contest. However, you know, her, her second preference votes in an STV voting system could determine how, how it all plays out um, on Monday. I would say... You know, if I were were in their their shoes, which I'm very glad not to to, to be, um, you know, being kind of commensurate, being um, pretty, you know, broad church about how you take the party forward. So if I was Hamza Yusuf, I would most certainly find a senior position for Kate Forbes within my cabinet. Uh, likewise with Kate Forbes, I would find a very senior position for Hamza and try and unite those those strands of the party. It's actually a, a, a tactic that Alex Salmond historically was very good at doing. You know, the people who uh, he put in his shadow cabinet and then ultimately came into his government cabinet in 2007 were not people who were fulsome supporters 
of uh, him and Nicola's joint ticket to, to to win the SNP leadership after 2004. Um, so you you need to swallow your pride at times. Let bygones be bygones. The kind of <clears throat> harsh words that were uttered during a, a bruising campaign set to one side um, and and get on with the job of of governing. And I, there's a lot going to be you know landed on the new first minister's desk. Uh, you know, pretty early on, and and some big issues to get to, to get to grips with. And if Kate Forbes wins the ballot, do do you see her being able to get enough experienced MSPs to serve in her cabinet? It's obviously been a lot of them have made statements over the last few weeks about the prospect of her leadership. Do you think that could be a real struggle for her? Uh, a challenge, but maybe not too much of a struggle. Um, and I think you know. Pr- Particularly, I, I heard uh, a couple of um, serving ministers say that they they would, you know, they couldn't or they would find it difficult to serve in a, a Kate Forbes um, government. So let's let's see what they they say after um, after Monday. <laughs> they, they may well have a different uh, view on the matter. Uh, but I think you know Kate's smart enough that she will go for, you know, um, a kind of mix of experienced old heads, a bit of new talent. Um, emerging through the ranks and try and get a you know get, get a good balance um and you know uniting the wider party behind that too is going to be you know that's going to be a challenge um you know because I, I i think it's fair to say possibly an older demographic of SP voters in this leadership election uh, were more likely to vote for kate uh maybe sort of younger um uh, sections of the the party, the student wing, the youth wing of the party, um, have kind of aligned themselves behind Hamza Youssef. So, um, you know, the 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 youth wing, the student wings of the party, um, are fundamentally important because they're the future of the party. So, um, you know, Kate will certainly have to reach out for them, find some some um, way to navigate, um, you know, aspects of of her social conservatism as it's been described. But, you know, she's she's more than capable. And do you think Hamza Yusuf is the only person capable of actually keeping the Greens on side, or, or do you think the party should actually be looking again at that arrangement? Uh, I've never been the biggest fan of the deal with the Greens. Um, it allows them quite a lot of the, I guess, the trappings and the benefits of 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 being in government without much of the accountability. There's been, I suppose. A few perceived anti-business um, policy areas, which you know the, the 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 Greens have have kind of taken the lead on. These kind of partnerships, coalitions, whatever you want to call them, um, are always best kept under review. Um, of course, there is a constitutional alignment with the Greens, um, which I don't think necessarily the SNP or the Greens would would want to rip up over over relatively little. Uh, but I think with um, you know, with Hamza or with Kate, uh, there will be um, tweaks and a bit of a reset to that. Um, I, you know, you know, Kate has, um, I suppose, been more vocally critical of the deal with the Greens um, uh, throughout the campaign. The the trouble is that uh, you know, the, the the deal was voted upon by by SNP members. At the time, ninety-five percent of them uh, voted in favour of it. Whether that number is still ninety-five percent now, I would I'd be surprised. And who do you personally favour? Hey, look, I I know all of the candidates pretty well, having worked with them um, at Holyrood. Um, I've known Hamza uh, the longest. He's very very capable indeed. K- 
Kate Forbes and I, uh, at one one point in time, I was aspiring to be a, a candidate for the SNP too. Um, unsuccessful, I might add. Kate Forbes and I met on uh, the day that we went to candidate vetting uh, together, and it, she struck me immediately. And I thought, who is this annoyingly intelligent, likable, <laughs> capable <laughs> person who's who's putting me to shame in this room because she she was brilliant. Um, and actually, I've you know, she 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 got elected in 2016. She quickly established herself as as one of the most capable MSPs. Um, she did the the groundwork in her constituency. She impressed all the right people. She quickly got promoted to junior financial. And then, of course, as we know, she rose to the occasion in the the the, the most you know strange and and difficult of circumstances in stepping up and and delivering a budget um after Derek Mackay had to to quit government very very suddenly um and she has and she has done remarkably well in that role and i think that's no mean feat and uh, um for me that that gives her just a a, a slight edge as as the the kind of best candidate in this contest you worked uh, very closely with nicola sturgeon how will you personally remember her and has your opinion changed over time yeah, I think it, my opinion of Nicholas Sturgeon probably has changed over time. I think the first time I met Nicholas Sturgeon, I was probably terrified. Um, and actually working alongside her really, really opened my eyes to just how capable, how detail-driven, how um, you know, remarkable a politician um, she she really is. And I think you know, that will be you know, a huge part of of her legacy and you know no mean feat through one of the um most turbulent times in uk politics not just scottish politics uk politics through the brexit referendum through you know you know snap general elections and a lot of political ups and downs um and she managed to kind of maintain a fairly serene uh you know experienced um sensible rational position uh, above it all um and you know with that came eight election victories to to her name which is which is no mean feat i suppose the 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 point that people will debate is you know did she deliver on um policy agenda and you know there's some some reasonable criticism to be to be made around that um of course she didn't have a uh, a majority government for any of that so it's always dependent on on compromise that can make the 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 legislative process a bit of a challenge um did she advance the cause of of independence which is i suppose you know the the benchmark that any uh, smp leader gets judged upon certainly at times you know people may argue that she didn't seize opportunities that that she had um at certain moments uh, maybe went too soon uh, in 2016 post uh, eu referendum uh, the party took a bit of a hit in the 2017 election um and then you know when when polling for independence was at an all-time high and her personal approval ratings were at an all-time high um during uh, the peak of the covid pandemic um <clears throat> that wasn't a particularly um, helpful time to be advancing the constitutional cause either. So, um, you know, events you know, conspired against her at times, uh, but people will kind of debate whether whether she she seized her opportunities when when she had her chance. And I think you know that speaks to another kind of side of of Nicola the person. Um, there's a real cautious element there uh, too. You know, 
a lot of politicians can be pretty gung ho because they <laughs> they believe you know utterly in their their own hype. Um, I think uh, Nicola Sturgeon was quite the opposite. That was Fergus Much speaking to Adele Merson there. Rachel Amory is also with us today, and Rachel, you were in the Scottish Parliament this week. On Thursday, there was obviously a big draw. The big ticket item was the gallery was full. It was Nicola Sturgeon's final First Minister's questions. This is the once a week jousting session where she stands up in the chamber and takes questions from Conservative leader Douglas Ross, Scottish Labour leader Anas Sarwar, the other party leaders and and lots of backbenchers, including many, many very easy softball uh, questions from the SNP backbenches. What was it like this time round? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a very different atmosphere this week. Um, it is always busy in Parliament on Thursday for First Minister's questions, but this week it was exceptionally busy. There was just everyone turned up for it. The, the, the public gallery was full. The press gallery was completely full. Um, there was a lot of press there that aren't normally at the Scottish Parliament. Um, I think I saw someone from the New York Times, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there really was everybody who wanted to be there absolutely was. It was quite interesting to note a few things that sort of happened. Um, I didn't see Ash Reagan there. Mm. Kate Forbes obviously wasn't there. She's still on maternity leave. Uh, meanwhile, Hamza Youssef was sat right next to Nicola Sturgeon on the front bench. So I thought that was quite an interesting yeah. um, thing to note um, as it all got set up. And I think beyond that, it was a very rowdy First Minister's questions. Mm. Lots of cheering, lots of booing, lots of just lots of noise. I think everyone was trying to sort of get their last two cents in with Nicola Sturgeon while they still could. Um, so yeah, very, um, very loud, very exciting sort of yeah. atmosphere during First Minister's questions. Well, I saw I saw some of it, obviously, um, but I wasn't in the room for this one. Um, so Douglas Ross, he starts off every week with his questions. From what I saw, he was um, he was going for it. He had to get told off for using the L word. La- mm-hmm, lie, yes. which of course you're never allowed to do, even if someone has lied. Apparently, um, it's 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 a bizarre Commons convention that appears to be copied over to the Scottish Parliament as well. This was, of course, to do with SNP membership figures being lower than were being let on by the, the by the the press office. That's a, a row from a previous podcast episode, but it set the tone, didn't it? There was there was a real attempt mm-hmm. to by the opposition parties to really undermine any attempt that Sturgeon hopefully would have had that day to say, here's my legacy, this is my swan song, um, haven't I had a good time? Absolutely, they're asking some very difficult questions as well, alluding to her record in government as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, some very difficult questions, some very very loud as well, and a lot of interruptions from protesters, there's some climate change protesters interrupting it as well, and from the presiding officer having to stop proceedings because it was just getting too loud and too out of hand. Yeah, well, there was a first minister's questions, and there was also a statement straight afterwards, which was a slightly more kind of sober affair, where she was more looking at her legacy. Before we actually get into Nicola Sturgeon's legacy in government, let's have a quick listen back to just one of the more personal moments of reflection from the first minister, as she called it a day, really, in the Scottish Parliament. And it is now to the people of Scotland, all of you, whether you voted for me or not, that I reserve my final words from this seat. Thank you so much for placing your trust in me. Words will never adequately convey the gratitude and the awe I hold in my heart for the opportunity I have had to serve as your First Minister. It truly has been the privilege of my lifetime. And with these words, Presiding Officer, I draw it to a close. (laughs) 
Okay, so let's look then at the the actual legacy of the first minister, Adele. You you um be giving us some thought as well. Where where do you think there's perhaps a bit of a mismatch where Nicola Sturgeon says that she's had some major achievements, but the actual success has been called into question. Yeah, I think what kind of strikes me is is the I guess there's a lot of um sort of symbolism with Nicola Sturgeon's leadership in that. I think it means a lot to many people that she's the first female first minister and that was mentioned many times in a lot of the tributes that I saw and that can't be understated you know as women across the country and young girls they first for many people they will only know younger people younger people than I they will only have known a, a woman at the top and so and they now see two women in the race currently to become the next first minister and I think that is a really powerful message and it you know, that can't be understated. I think obviously she had huge electoral dominance that her rivals could only dream of. I guess what perhaps with such electoral power and, and with such dominance, what has actually been achieved now, obviously, depending on who you speak to, they, they, Nicola Sturgeon herself reeled off a list of what she regards as her major achievements, which include things like the baby box, the Scottish child payment I think keeps getting mentioned quite quite a bit Mm -hmm. I think she has had a positive influence in terms of how Scotland is seen you know internationally I think she has a high reputation across the globe Um, I think the Covid pandemic played to her strengths in some ways because she is this cautious person and I think she was seen as a lot more responsible in, in many ways certainly in the way she communicated anyway than Boris Johnson the flip side of that, that's all quite, you know, symbolic much of it. But if you drill down into the areas where the SNP, well, where the Scottish government has um, control, things like health, education, drug deaths, you know, there's not the best record left there. Mm. Drug deaths are far higher than when she took office. That education yeah. gap is still there. I think that was kind of famously her number one priority that she wanted to be judged on and there's not a great deal of movement on that and the nhs you know hospital delays we, we, we report on these you know most weeks those kind of challenges so a real mixed bag there i would say i yeah. mean you could argue a large part of her leadership was during a covid pandemic which which doesn't help and in that sense circumstances weren't the best but she's was leader from uh, many many years before that so i think there is it's a mixed bag in my opinion yeah yeah, and that um, alludes to that presentation. Uh, the gap between presentation and reality is, is 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 a big trick in politics sometimes. And if you can pull it off, then it's tremendous. But then you look back at COVID, and Nicola Sturgeon was was really lauded for her presentation, the, her clear communication, the sort of the messaging there. But ultimately, as the COVID pandemic inquiry plays out, we're going to find out that there was many of the same problems or mistakes that were made either side the border or in other countries, they're, they're, they happened in Scotland too. Um, and now with Nicola Sturgeon stepping aside, there's a new a new leader going to take place. If it is Hamza Yousaf, he's the health secretary. So this continuity candidate, is he? do we really want that continuity as well to carry on around the SNP? Because next Thursday, if he's the winner and stands up in front of everyone, Rachel, there's going to be an opposition absolutely baying for him from day one. Absolutely. I mean, every single week it feels like Labour in particular are grilling Nicola Sturgeon on the NHS. And very often 
they bring it back to Hamza Yusuf as the health secretary and say it all it's all him to blame. And so if, if it is Hamza Yusuf who wins and he becomes first minister, I think the first first minister's questions with him in charge will be completely dominated by the health service and long waiting lists and other problems that yeah. um, with bed blocking and other things that are going on in the NHS. I think he will have a very, very fir- tough first first minister's questions if he if he becomes the next person in the top job. Mm. While we're thinking about things to come, you mentioned this earlier and Fergus Much mentioned this as well, um, speaking to Adele, the the SNP Green Deal in government, which has been a controversial thing among some members and it's turned a little bit difficult for the Greens particularly while they look at who might be taking over. Kate Forbes and Hamza Yousaf, they're effectively neck and neck in terms of perception of who might win. Kate Forbes has been more as Adele said, a bit cynical about the prospects of continuing the SNP Green Deal. Ash Reagan has been quite vocal about needing to reset that one too. You are uh, just off the phone actually to a Green MSP as you look ahead to this weekend's Green Party conference. What are you picking up from the Green Party side of things about what happens next? Yeah, literally just a minute before we started recording this, I was speaking to Mark Ruskell. He's the Green MSP for Mid-Scotland and Fife. We spoke about a whole range of things, but one of the things we did speak about was the Butte House Agreement. Now, he was very praising of this agreement, saying it's great for the SNP, it's great for the Greens, it's great for government, and it's great that this is the first thing that's ha- time it's happened in UK politics as well, saying it's been very progressive, etc., etc. So very much lauding how good this deal is. But like he said, there, there may be issues coming up, particularly if it is Kate Forbes, who who becomes first minister next week? She has previously spoken out against equal marriage and gender reform, um, which are two big green policies. And I asked him about that, and he did say he thinks it might actually be a problem for the Boot House Agreement, um, and it needs to continue as it is at the moment. Otherwise, it will be completely undermined. Um, and so, it, it she it, he also did say it puts the Greens into a very difficult position if she does come into the top job and undermines what's already been agreed there. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. I I might be reading into this too much, but I feel like perhaps he was hoping that it might be Hamza Yusuf that gets the the winner. There you go. There's that continuity again. Um, And we'll, of course, uh, find out in just a couple of days who the, the next First Minister is, and we will reconvene to rake over the, the, the calls of that vote the decision and what the the consequences will be for for Scotland and potentially the UK to come. And of course, we'll we'll catch up again on what happens with the Green Party when they have a discussion, including the future of their agreement with the SNP in government. But that's it for this week. So thank you to Rachel Amory, Adele Merson, our guest Fergus Much and producer Morvan McIntyre. And of course, to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier the Press and Journal and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed.